I would turn your attention this morning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and as we begin, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. But now you must also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouths. Do not lie to one another since you have put, on the old man, put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free. But Christ is all and in all. This morning we're looking at the new man. And our focus will be on verses 5 through 11. We've been shown in the beginning of the chapter that there's a whole other realm of existence and that we are to think on that existence not as some kind of escape mechanism or some kind of escape from reality but an expansion of reality. So we are told to think and to seek the things above. Seek is a, is a practical striving, and a major part of it is to set our minds on things above. To set means to have an inward impulse and disposition. A call for us to think on heaven and to do it often. Because it's as much of a reality for the Christian to think of heaven as it is to think upon earth. You know, but think of that time when uh, you know, we, we, we were so television on what, what a reality is where Elijah, Elijah's uh, servant saw that the enemy had come and had almost basically surrounded them. And he, he said, oh, master, master, we're surrounded. And Elisha prays and says, oh God, open his eyes that he might see that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the servant opened his eyes and there was the host of God, the holy angels, far outnumbering those enemies there. But that's that whole other part of reality that we don't even think about because all we think about is what our eyes behold. 
or what we're told to see. But things of heaven and things of earth are as much a reality. And we should think on these things. We should think of heaven not only when things are bad, but also in times of joy. It's easy for us to think when times are bad, and there's a lot of the old folk songs and old uh, uh, songs that they used to sing sometimes in the Appalachians and all of, of how hard it, this life is and how great the next life to come will be. Uh, it sounds like I'm a poor, wayfaring stranger. Such like that. And in truth, that's no matter what type of condition you live in, that which is to come is so much better. And so even in our times of joy, we ought to think of heaven because when we consider joy, the joys in heaven don't end. Every joy we have here on earth is, has a limited shelf space, a little shelf time. It, it, it will come to an end and we have to look for another joy or for it to come back at some other time. But in heaven, the joys are greater and they are unending. In light of this, he continues this chapter and beginning at verse 5, we see once again, he says, Therefore, because of, of the fact that uh, there are these heavenly realities, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, In light of the fact that there's a heavenly aspect to you, bring that into bear on your earthly aspect, your life, your thoughts, your actions. And as we come into this section, there are two areas we see that are affected. The first, he'll discuss our private life, which also covers much of uh, the sexual uh, warnings and, and directions. And then... The next section will be our public life. So first, we look at things uh, privately. What's, what's, who are we to be and what are we to do privately, if you will? He says this, he writes this, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Remember, he's just been talking about heaven and to think about heaven. So when we read verse 5, what do we find? We find a list of things that are not done in heaven. If we are to be heavenly minded and thinking about, about these things, this list that he has given are things that will not take place and cannot take place in heaven. So the reasoning is something like this. Why do on earth what is not done in heaven? And again, also Paul is refuting some of the false teaching of the day that was going around. We talked in weeks past about the Gnostics and some of the things that they taught. They taught that there was wisdom 
that was to be achieved, but only a special few would achieve that wisdom and enlightenment. But they also taught this. What you do with your body does not affect your soul. Now, for people who are supposed to have come up with hidden wisdom, they seem to be lacking a lot of it here. So he begins by writing, Put to death your members which are on earth. These things that dwell in us. In the old man, if you will. The indwelling sin, which Paul refers to metaphorically here as a body. And as a body, it consists of members or parts. So here, the body of sin has these parts, which are on earth, but uh, will not be in heaven. And so he, he gives this list, and we'll go through it quite quickly, just because sometimes these are words that people are not familiar with. And so he says, fornication. Well, that's sexual relation by people who are not married. And then he says, uncleanness. Well, that's all other impure actions. Now, I've listed these as private, for generally they are not done in public. And uncleanness would include adultery, incest, or sodomy, and all other unnatural lusts. And next word is passion. And the King James, I think... I like the way the King James refers to that. Instead of passion, it says inordinate affections. Now, I think when you think of a map, if you're mapping something, you look at different ordinates and coordinates and all. And so you could say that these are affections that are off the charts. It's a, a dwelling upon to the point of obsession, something that is forbidden. I think you could find that our first parents suffered that. They started obsessing, thinking about that one tree and the one fruit. People easily get into a pattern of thinking. And since they do it so often, it becomes, it seems just part of their being. Then he lists evil desire. Well, we can have, you notice it, evil desire. So if there's evil desires, there must also be good desires. And so we, we can have good desires and, of course, evil ones as well. And then he writes covetousness. Covetousness, the desire to have what belongs to another. Here he calls it idolatry as well. It's a form of it. It either makes an idol of the item of desire or it shows a discontent with God. It's a sense of we knowing better than God. We know better what we need or think we do. It's like saying, with covetousness, it's like saying, God, you gave that to the wrong person. Again, they're called earthly. Because as long as they are vigorous in us, 
We are earthly. And he says in verse 6, because of these things, because of these things, you know, almost every action begins with a thought. And this, he says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. This wrath can show itself in this life, here and now, temporally, or it can show itself eternally. These are things that can destroy us, but for the deliverance that comes from Christ. That wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience, the children of disobedience. And he uses the same term in the same context. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. This is the reason that those who have life in Christ should, in the old word, is mortify, mortify. Uh, again, we use that, remember that word of mortician deals with death. We need to mortify, to put to death, to repress and abstain from these things that are found detestable by God. These things are, are part of the previous state of mind. He says, these are the things in which you yourselves once walked. Once lived, in verse 7, in which you also once walked when you lived in them. It, it's the image there of a, of a path. There's a, sin can be a path, and righteousness can be a path. And these are things that people, converted people, once partook of in their former pagan lives. When you lived in them, he said in verse 7, and to live in sin is to receive death from sin. And then there's beginning in verse 8, a move to public behavior. And so he says in verse 8, but now you must also put off these. What are they? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. You must put these behaviors away. You must put them away. Put them off all these. 
it's all because of what you put on. Because of what you put on, there are things that you must put off. If you were to fall into a septic tank, I mean one that has not been pumped out. I mean one that is six foot of doo-doo. And you fall into it. You go straight down. And you are pulled out of that septic tank. Are you going to say, as you are covered with what was in the septic tank, <coughs> this might hold you back from getting too hungry too fast. But as you are covered with that which is in the septic tank, are you going to say, just give me a clean shirt to put on over this and I'll be fine? Or are you going to take those defiled clothes and throw them as far away from you as you possibly can? This is what Paul is saying. You have imbibed in the devil's world, in the ungodly aspects of your life, You've got it all over you, but Christ has cleaned you up. So what are you going to do now? Are you going to put the dirty clothes back on? Are you going to be like the dog that returns to its vomit? Are you going to be like the pig that returns to its swallowing? Is, is this what you're going to do? You've been cleaned up. There's a, there's a reason why this is called filth and dirt and otherwise. Lay aside those filthy rags of anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy, or in some places it's translated slander and filthy language. Lay aside anger. Well, anger, not the emotion itself, but the vindictive appetite. A hunger to hurt somebody. When we are angry and that anger gets hold of us, we want to hurt because we're hurt, so we want to hurt back. And more times than not, we want to hurt back harder than what we've been hurt. Wrath. You want to see a, a good illustration of wrath? Human wrath, not godly wrath. If you turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 28. Jesus had spoken to them. In the beginning of verse 24, he said, Surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country, but I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet. And none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now notice what happens. Then all those in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with what? Wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. 
and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built that they might throw him down over the cliff. There you go. Man's wrath. It's a raging. It's like madness. And then there's malice. Malice is like meditating on revenge. It's fueled by the anger, so then we think, okay, how am I going to get revenge on this person? And here in New King James, the next word is blasphemy. This is generally speaking derisive things against God. When it's done towards our fellow man, it's much better rendered slander. Or we could say defamation. But when it's done towards God, it's blasphemy. You really can't blaspheme another fellow human being because they're human beings. Blasphemy generally is understood of things that you speak against God, things that you speak against deity. And then filthy, filthy language, obscene language, lewdness. Sometimes it's hard to define but you know it when you hear it. And sometimes we know it before we say it. Because we introduce it. We say, I know I shouldn't say this. That's the devil's hook. Because the moment you start that, even though you say, I know I shouldn't say that. And then you say, well, I'm not going to say it. But what happens? The person standing in front of you says, well, you've already started. <laughs> so you might as well finish. Filthy language can also mean abusive language. And here we are at a time when it's so prevalent. At least it seems so prevalent. We think probably we live in the midst of one of the most depraved uh, times that anybody has ever lived. You don't know much about the Romans, do you? Or you don't know much about the Greeks. Uh, you should, in your own time, maybe you, it might be good for you to see what Roman soldiers considered a good luck charm and what they drew on the side of their buildings that they built. Some of the other things that went on... Uh, in these places, we talk about uh, rampant homosexuality and, and other things. In Greek and Roman cultures, these were not abnormal things. It's nothing new. It just, it still, I'm glad in many cases, still horrifies people to think that these things go on. That, at least shows us there's some semblance of honor amongst us. He says in, in verse 8, to put all that out of your mouth, 
And then he begins with verse 9. So verses 8 and 9 really weren't to be split up. Put all this filthy language out of your mouth. And well, the next thing, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another. Again, we could go into a whole thing, but understand that he's not just saying an outright lie. But what we have incorporated into this is the idea of exaggeration or hyperbole. And this is what we face every single day. And I'm not being hyperbolic about that. We hear over and over and over things like this. If we don't do this, people will die. And we hear things like, it has never been this bad before. Lying seems to be a common pastime. And the worst part about it, if there are those who know they are lying, when they are lying, and they think the world is better because of the lie that they are telling. Again, try not to get political here. But we have vice president. Oh, we're at such a wonderful pinnacle of time here because we're in the midst of changing over from a fossil fuels to electric. Now, now whatever planet she's, she lives on, I don't, I don't know how you get to be vice president if you're not from America, but you've got to be from a different planet to know not know that we don't have an infrastructure for electric vehicles. We don't have the power plants. We don't have the charging stations. We don't have the production. And on top of that, we don't even know what we're going to do with the batteries once they're bad. Oh, just ship them to another third world country and not worry about it. You know, that's the whole idea with the oil. Let some other country dirty themselves with it. So if you know that we're not able to handle something and yet you say we're, this is a great time, you're not telling the truth. But we see it every single day. And so verse 10, we put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You see, something was lost, but in Christ we are getting it back. The restoration of the image of God, that's what was lost. If you go back to Genesis 5, you read in the in the uh, genealogy that's given there, Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. But what happens with Seth and the rest? They were in the, made in the image of Adam. What we lost in Adam, we're gaining back in Christ and even more so. And the restoration of that image of God is gradual and it's progressive, but it will be complete in its final result. Notice in verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed. And the tense is that it means it's content, 
continually being renewed. As part of the renewed image, we see all who are in Christ without division. In verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. When they list the barbarian type people, the Scythians were supposed to be the worst of all. All who are in Christ are in Christ without division. The ones who would try to divide and hyphenate Christ's people do the opposite of what he is doing. All the elect of God are equally elect. All the justified of God are completely and fully justified equally. No no believer is more justified than the other. And when we see people trying to categorize and divide people, we know that that is going against the design. So putting it all together, there's a lot covered in this small space. We've not gone deeply into those things that listed. But the first thing we do not wish to do is open the door to the legalist. The legalist, like the Pharisee, will take a command such as put off all filthy language. And they'll start to make several classifications of, of what is filthy language. Do you know there are things in the King James Bible, words in the King James Bible, that because now, because language has changed, we, we really can't use them. In, in our common speech. I was reading one time, and, and uh, where Paul was saying, if someone brings you another, uh, brings you another gospel, which is not another God, gospel, let him be, in our course modern, we say, condemned. And I said, and I read it just along with what the, New King, what the King James said, let him be damned. And somebody afterwards said, why did you use that word in the pulpit? Language changes. We understand that from time to time. It goes on. It, it's always in a constant state of change. And it's not helped that every, every year there's words that are added to the dictionary that weren't there before. And now we have to get used to what those words were and sometimes people change the meaning of words and I think that just adds to the confusion sometimes. But the legalists will take something like filthy talk and, and they'll have all kinds of different degrees of what it is in classifications and they'll be man-made classifications, categories and divisions and then they'll point to those who violate those categories. We don't want to go there. And secondly, we see that these sins listed by Paul, and we need to know, as a believer, we are to see with renewed understanding why these are listed. You see, there's different ways to use the law. 
The law will condemn. If you're an unbeliever, the law condemns you. If you're an unbeliever, as you read this list, there should be a certain condemnation that comes upon you, a certain fear, a certain guilt that comes upon you. That's what the law is supposed to do. But if you are a believer, the law becomes your delight. It no longer condemns you, it guides you. And we understand as believers, these things are listed because all these things are bad for us. Not only bad for us, but destructive to others. It's bad for us to tell a lie because then we have to work on 12 others to support it. But it's destructive for others to hear lies from us. when we're being informed from Scripture as to what is bad, we're also seeing what is good. You see, every don't has an unwritten do. If we read a commandment that says, thou shalt not steal, well, if you flip it over, then there's a do, and the do is honor people's property. So, People who look at you know, the Christianity is so full of do's and don'ts. Don't do these don'ts. Don't want to do these don'ts. But every don't has a do to it. Do not lie. Well, then what's to do? Tell the truth. It's simple. Very quickly, if you look at Psalm 1 for just a moment, we'll finish up here. Psalm 1, in just the first three verses, by the way, uh, you, you see Christ in these first three verses. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaves shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper This is a way to a happy and joyous life. The world, the old nature would have us delight in that which is harmful to us and harmful to others. So as believers, we don't abstain from these things by because of the fear of losing our salvation. We know that we will sin and sometimes we might even tell a lie. Sometimes we'll do it Knowingly, but sometimes unknowingly, because in this age of internet, there are many things, times people receive something on Facebook and they think, oh, well, this came from so-and-so, so it must be good. So they pass it on and it's not true. And you've just become a party in a lie. But you didn't know it because who you received it from 
you thought, well, they're pretty reliable. So you just passed it on, not knowing that you passed on something that was false. Because there's a lot of times we want to believe what's bad. Especially if it's someone we don't like. But we don't abstain from these things for fear of losing our salvation or being forsaken by God. We abstain because God has been so good, so gracious, so merciful. So that not only out of gratitude, but also out of an understanding of the character of God. A God who cannot lie. A God who is perfect in all his ways. A God who has perfect wisdom, who says to you, this is not a good thing for you to do. This is a bad thing for you to do. We need to bow to that wisdom and say, yes, God. He is truth. So what he tells us is truth. Remember when Paul was on the road to Damascus. He's thrown to the ground. And the voice of Jesus says to Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the goads. Now goads were like pointed sticks. That if an ox wanted to kick up its heels and carry on, it would throw its leg back and it would hit the goad and and that would cause the, the ox to put its foot back in place and keep like it was supposed to do. And so what God is telling us, these things to stay away from, they're goads. And the more you kick at them, the more they'll hurt you. And they'll hurt others as well. And so out of his love for us, and our love and gratitude towards him, as we now, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we join hands with the Lord and say, yes, Lord. This is right. This is good. This is proper. Let's stand together in prayer.